Good morning. You may be seated. Ladies, wear outfits. So as you are turning to Acts 26, and Brother Norman will be passing out a handout for you, let me uh, have a few preliminary remarks. Uh, first and foremost, I, I love you all. I hope you know that. And I, I, hope, um, I hope you know that. I really do uh, want you to be successful at reaching your loved ones and taking them to heaven with you. And I, I really want this church to be successful at reaching this community and Pastor and Sister Mullins' success here. And please forgive me if my demeanor in any given moment causes you any discomfort. I totally realize that my edges are not as elegant and genteel as I would like them to be at times. And so forgive me in that. Uh, so I always want you to uh, come out ahead, right? I always want you to win. Now what follows uh, is a combination of art and science. It draws from the theological field of missionology or what it is to reach the world and the business field of communication and marketing. Now our text this morning is Acts 26, uh, 24 through 29 and it reads, and Paul made his defense and he's making his defense to King Agrippa and Festus and he's making his defense to the family. This is probably not a trial as we currently imagine it. It's probably a dinner, some kind of dinner setting where he has come. And uh, he's making his defense, and Festus, one of the guests, says with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. And he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. For the king, before whom I also speak freely, knows these things. For I am convinced that none of these things escape his attention, since these things uh, we're not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And then Agrippa changes. Uh, then, he, then Agrippa responds to Paul. He says, Paul, well, you almost persuaded me, buddy. You almost got me. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am Accept these chains. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about being a successful faith communicator. Pastor, would you pray as I finish and ready? Amen. Now, let me start with a few wake-up statements uh, in support of Pastor's uh, hospital to family to army Vision. I don't know how many of you have talked to about that. But okay, so, so Pastor has, has talked to me about this, and he'll talk more about this. But let me, let me just uh, nod at that, wink at that. Uh, and now these comments may sting a bit, so it's kind of antiseptic, so forgive me. Uh, but please understand, the nature of the New Testament church is expeditionary, not institutional. Right? Don't misunderstand that. Right. It's expeditionary because we cannot reach the world from the comfort of the pews or the platform. Don't misunderstand that. Right. It is expeditionary because we cannot communicate to the world with the language we use in the church. And it's expeditionary because nowhere in the New Testament are we instructed to consolidate, centralize and buy property. Right. The mission has always been and will always be go it will always be that right mission will always be that go therefore into all the world 
and make disciples. And the history of the world, uh, history of war particularly, has made it crystal clear. Expeditionary forces must be well prepared. They must be professionally led. They must be supplied, engaged, and effective to win. Otherwise, uh, soldiers needlessly die without achieving the mission. Now, this is very applicable to the local church, except for the dying part. I'm not asking any of you to do that, naturally. But the prepared, led, that is very important. And so let me work on prepared and effective this morning. Now, uh, let me start with a background. Uh, every human in the digital world is slogging their way through a swamp of intellectual confusion and trash. This is analogous to the amount of intellectual trash that gets pushed into people's thoughts every day by the billions of gigabytes, right? Anything we attempt to communicate has to get noticed. And that's hard to do, right? It not only must get noticed, it must be distinct before it will be considered. So it has to be something different, right? And when it does get considered, it must be compelling. So if what we're saying is it distinct, isn't getting considered, and isn't compelling, then it's just part of the trash that passes through people's thought process every day. Intellectual competition is at an all-time high. Technology represents a two-edged sword. Google is great. Everybody said amen. Google is horrible. Everybody said amen. <laughs> right? Uh, there's a lot of people out there talking about apostolic Pentecostalism. Lots of them, right? But communicating our faith must be personalized and influential in ways that Google is not. It must clarify uh, any misperceptions and provide accurate information to counterweight any inaccurate information. Being a successful faith communicator is a compelling task. That's why so few people succeed at it. That's why so the average the average attendance of Pentecostal churches like ours is 73 nationwide. The average lifespan of a Pentecostal church is 70 years. So in 70 years, you can bank on 70 people. This is a job, a serious job. Expeditionary Christianity must be, people have to be prepared, they have to be led, they have to be supplied, they have to be engaged, regularly engaged, and they have to be effective, right? And this is our task. Now, I know this might sting a little bit, but I'm going I'm to put it on you a little bit because there are souls at stake, not the least of which is souls you live with and souls you care about. And so let me put it on now. Paul gave us two foundational concerns, content and demeanor. Content is Acts 25. He said, Festus, I am not mad, most noble Festus. I speak the words of truth and reason. And then content in Colossians chapter 4, Paul said, let your speech always be with grace. And so I'll unpack those as we go. Now, content concerns uh, three things. Successful faith communicators must manage the principle of rational acceptance. Everyone has a filter to help determine if they should accept a given statement as rational. It's a cognitive phenomenon. It's very real, right? It's called rational acceptance. They are talking to themselves while we are talking to them. For instance, I wore my stole because most of you are still stuck on my stole. Right? You're still stuck there. Some of you may be thinking, well, isn't that Catholic? Isn't that what Catholic priests do? You probably haven't actually been able to hear what I'm saying because you've been talking to yourself so long about it. <laughs> right. 
right? You've had all kinds of internal monologue going on about my uniform, right? What's that patch? What's that thing look like, right? The whole time I've been talking to you, saying really important things that you can't afford to miss because your family's at stake, but you are stuck on your internal monologue, right? It happens. It just naturally happens, right? And so we got to understand that and manage that, right? And most of this is questioning, like, mm, does this conflict with what I believe to be true? Uh, how is this person an expert about this subject? Why are they telling me this? Why would I care? Who do I care? What do I care? Right? These are the conversations that we're having with ourselves when people are talking to us. Now, they would never do that to you because you're well-respected and expert in everything you say. But the facts of the matter is, right, this conversation is going on in everybody's head. Effective communicators have to manage this, first and foremost, by making plausible and rational statements. <laughs> That's first and foremost, right? You got to say something that makes sense because the filter is going to catch it. That don't make no sense. That's not true. That's not possible. That couldn't happen, right? And it goes no farther. And then they say, well, why does this guy think I should believe him, right? You have all this stuff going on. And so 15 minutes in the conversation, you're like, whoa, God is moving. Whoa, God is touching you. You are emotionally aroused by what you're saying. And that guy thinks, well, <laughs> okay. Later, dude. Right? Successful faith communicators have to understand they're going to be speaking through a filter, right? And if you filter and code what you say, and they filter and decode what you say, what's the chances they're actually hearing what you're saying, right? So, so successful faith communicators have to do that. Another thing, successful faith communicators avoid overpromise under deliver. Avoid overpromise under deliver. Our sincere burden to get people to reach out to God will compel us to say all kinds of things. <laughs> and it will inadvertently set us this phenomenon up. Right? This phenomenon is really problematic because it creates disappointing and unhealthy conditions between people and the church. Right? The friction comes when someone tells their friend that God will save them without explaining to their friend what that means. Right? For instance, a friend may be experiencing marital problems, so we in our good, loving, caring, Pentecostal uh, intention will tell you, well, God can save your marriage. God will save your marriage. God will save your marriage. Oh, I believe if you believe and pray, God will save your marriage, right? Okay, That's, that seems true at face value, but what if it's a horrible marriage? Right? But what if it's horrible? Right, let me unpack that. What if it involves emotional or physical violence? Is God going to save that one? Right, what if it's dangerously codependent or predatory? Right, isn't God actually opposed to people living under such conditions? And here we are telling them, God will save that marriage. And they're thinking, oh, is that, oh, that's so great. Thank you, Jesus. My husband will stop beating me. He'll stop taking my money. He'll stop sleeping around on me. And... See, the trouble is we create expectations without providing any explanation. That's always bad. And they come. If they believe you at all, they'll come. And they'll get serious, man, and they'll pray. And you've seen it time and time again. Just write down on your way home the number of people you have seen come to church, live for God as best they could for a year, two years, and then they're gone. Because we probably overpromised. We created expectation that we cannot deliver on. We cannot save their marriage. And we can't promise God will save a bad one. We simply have to, pre uh, right? Do you understand what I'm saying? Successful faith communicators got to be really careful about that.
Uh, successful faith communicators recognize the challenge of language and meaning. And this is harder than it sounds because it requires a change in how we think and speak about God. The sharp distinction between ministry here and the wider world like we see Paul in in our text is why I wore our uniform, my uniform. Right? I want to push you in some way towards the fact our work out there and our work in here is remarkably different. Out there requires a language change. It requires a language change. Right? For instance, as a soldier and a chaplain, I don't speak the same language as you. I don't. I speak English, but it's not the same language. For instance, you may not understand if I tell you I'm scheduled to do MD, MDMP with the S3 work group this week about a FUWAP. Right? Now, you may guess. You might put a couple words together, but at the end of the day, you have no idea what I just said. It's English. It's, it's like alphabet, but how about this one? You probably wouldn't know what log pack inbound no later than 0315 Zulu would mean, except Master Sergeant, you know what that means. Right, So it's like the language is just not the same. Now, now for instance, I know uh, songs like uh, God will turn your pain into praise is really meaningful to us, but what does that mean to the non-initiated? I'm not sure. Like, what does, what, how are they going to decode that? How are they going to unpack that? Right? Uh, to recognize the gaps in the language here, uh, connect the word Jesus, your idea with Jesus, with the following topics, Jesus and family reunification, Jesus and body image, Jesus and self-esteem, Jesus and divorce recovery, Jesus and suicide, Jesus and human trafficking, Jesus and personality disorder. Jesus, hold it, breathe, relax, breathe. I'm going to say it. Jesus and lesbian. <gasps> you can't say that in the church, Brother Grant. See, it's a language gap. And if we're going to reach them, overcoming the challenge requires us to talk about things they need to talk about. It requires us to use words and phrases that mean something to them, not just to us. Right? Now, content concern, uh, there's a slide. Successful faith communicators limit their initial content to a message template. Be for the sake of time, I will offer a workshop. For that, like remember I offered you a workshop, nobody's called, cool, no problem. I offered you a workshop on how you can get into the Bible. I offered that, remember I said I will do that, no problem, cool, peace out, I got things to do. Calendar's about 120 right now, so if you need something, get at me. But likewise, right, if you want to uh, walk through what it means to create content, a message template, I'll be happy to do that with you. Now, the demeanor concern. So the first is content, the demeanor concern. Now, I wear the uniform. Listen, I wear the uniform to signal that I am one of them. There is no doubt, right? I can go to war. I'll be back. I hope. I wear that uniform. Everywhere I go, that signals. Chaplain is, the chaplain's one of us. Chaplain's our boy, right? Chaplain, we get down like that. Right? I understand their uniform, they understand my uniform, etc., etc. Now I wear the cross and the stole to signal I am different in necessary ways. 
So if there is 700 of us out on the parade field of Messart, who's the chaplain? That guy right there. So I have to signal in very necessary ways. I'm you, but I'm different than you, right? And that's, how, that's why we wear the accoutrement, right? They see me coming, so that does set up a little bit of a weird situation for me because they always are watching for consistency and congruency. What happens when I make fun of the gay people wearing my cross or my stole? What happens if I make fun of the commander-in-chief or so-and-so or Diff Nidley or whatever rapper was on TV last night that they all like? See, demeanor, demeanor. Everybody's watching. Everybody's ear hustling. Right? And the scripture is very clear. The words from the mouth of a wise person are gracious. Colossians said, our speech should always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer every person. Each person, right, there is, this is such a compelling thing, such a compelling thing, right? I have to, have to know people are experiencing me. And there's a real disadvantage. Like, sometimes I wish I wasn't wearing a cross. Because I like to punch some people in the face. <laughs> I like to take you outside and knuckle that up. Oh, we can handle this. <laughs> right? Master Sergeant and I go way back. We used to do that behind the barracks if it got crazy. I can't go, I can't take them out behind the barracks anymore. I got to sit quietly and patiently and thoughtfully. Right? People get at me with all kinds of crazy stories. I cannot even begin to tell you what kind of crazy stories. Right? And here's the deal. This is, this is what happened, Brother Cameron. They come to me expecting me to talk about something that matters in a way that they can respect and appreciate. So if I belittle them, I make fun of them, I push back on them, I walk away and talk to somebody about them, they hear about it, they see me come in, it's all bad. See, demeanor is as important as content. It's so important because they see you coming. Right? And they see you coming, and when you're, and you may not wear a stole like mine, but you, ladies, you don't cut your hair. Boys, you don't wear short pants. All of you are apostolic, right? They see you coming. And I kind of wonder, when you, they, when you leave, what, do they, what impression did they put on me because they were with you? See? Successful faith communicators really, really understand. James 3 says the, is the best encapsulations here. He said, it is a remarkable good qualification here. If a kingdom ambassador, if a person who wants to win people to God, they know, right? They know that wisdom and understanding is shown by good conduct and gentleness that comes with wisdom. Right, the kindness of Hiram, the king of Tyre toward David and Solomon is an example of this. Historically, Tyre is among the alliance of ten nations that warred against Israel, but his kindness eclipsed that. Right, the favor of King Asherish, the ruler of the medial Persian Empire, extended to Esther is an example of this. He had nothing to be gained by being kind. Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel, example of this. Kingdom's ambassadors hurt the king when they create war conditions. With the people the king is trying to reach. They breach kingdom policy when they are rude or belittle or unkind to people that the king is trying to bring into relationship with. Content, demeanor, con see, it's super critical. 
And they are, they are really thoughtful about exhibiting an authentic reverence towards God and gratitude towards God. I'll give you an example. Let me see. Few things are more compelling than an authentic love story. We are naturally moved when we hear people talk about what they love or what they're grateful for. We are moved. I'll give you an example. Let me show you. I love Dina. I love Dina. She makes me feel safe. And I'm a brave man. I'm a brave man. But she makes me feel safe. She's kind to me. She has been patient with me through so many of my own challenges. She helps me. She takes care of me when I'm sick. She makes all the food I like. I have never, ever had to worry about what she is doing when I'm not there. Never. I've never worried that she's spending money or she's scatting around or she's creating problems for me. I've never worried about that. Right? I love her because she loves me better than anyone has ever loved me. I, I could go on. I love her because she loves my kids. My kids are savages at times. She still loves them. <laughs> Our home is clean. It's always clean. My clothes are always clean in every way. She accepts me. And, she, you know, she scuffs me up every once in a while, gives me the side eye or whatever. But, right? But listen, let me show you one in the scriptures. Paul, he said, I give thanks to Christ Jesus, our Lord. He strengthened me. He considered me faithful. I don't know why he considered me faithful. He appointed me to the ministry, even though I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I was an arrogant man. You see the, do you see the difference when you read the scriptures with some substance? He said, I was an idiot. I was a blasphemer, persecutor. I was arrogant, but I received mercy. Oh, I received so much because I acted out of ignorance and unbelief, the grace of the Lord is always overflowing to me. See, they will not be induced to love God more than you do. They will not be compelled by your story if they do not feel the sense and the gratitude and the thanksgiving and the goodness. They just won't. It's not compelling. Right? So successful faith communicators understand that. Lastly, successful faith communicators know how to facilitate the salvation process, right? Coming to Jesus Christ and experiencing authentic salvation involves a process. The stream of grace moves slowly, sometimes incredibly slowly, but surely towards the cross. I think sometimes we get so anxious to get people into the altar that we bypass like repentance and true confession and authentic right, gratitude. Just come down, get the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Snuck up on you, dude. Come on, man. Got to stay frosty, bro. Right? I'm so glad Pastor said that, not me. <laughs> right? Like church people have to come. Our guests got like restraining orders against us after they leave, dude. I ain't going back. <laughs> Assault, man. Uh, let me, just a side note. Can I just do a funny side note? Okay, so I, I travel a lot. Obviously, I went to a Pentecostal church one time. I was in my uniform. I, I get it. I'm a spectacle. I don't like to wear it. You ought to see the other one, the fancy one. It's really stupid. So, so I'm sitting in the back, nice and quiet, right? And somebody walks over to me. I'm not kidding. They did about like, like I just did the norm. Not quite that bad, but they did that. And I'm, I'm, I'm serious as a heart attack. I put my hands up. I said, whoa. 
right? And not because I was, like, going to kill him or anything, but I did want to signal to him, dude, if you do that to me, what are you going to do to the little old lady or the other person? You, it's assault and battery, man. He said, he said, can I pray for you? I said, do you need to touch me? He said, uh, I don't think so. I said, well, it's just kind of in my comfort zone. I don't know you. Can you just pray for me there? What do you think he did, Sister Mullins? What do you think he did, babe? I don't think I've told you that story. What do you think he did, Brother Cameron? No. I'm serious. This is what he did. He walked away. Don't worry. I didn't chase him down. Right. <laughs> I wouldn't offend it or anything like that. But I thought, man, you knucklehead. Right? Now, now you got to, let me check. Do you believe the scriptures? Okay. Do you believe the scripture that the Holy Spirit is being poured out on everybody? Then relax. Let us do its job. Then relax. Work with him, not against him. Relax. He knows what he's doing. We're the only ones confused. Biggest part of winning souls is just finding out what Jesus is doing in people's lives and speaking to it in sensible, rational truth and reason. Right? The grace of God. We, we, we believe in the scriptures, right? Okay. Do we believe the scripture that the grace of God that brings salvation appears to everyone? Do we believe that? Then relax. Right? The stream of grace is moving. The stream of grace is moving. Right? Let it move. Let it move. Right? And then you just facilitate the process through a series of worn handoffs. Three of them. Three of them. Number one is the, probably the most important, and it's really simple. I know somebody who can help you with that. Super easy, super smooth. Like, if you get into something and they start unpacking stuff and you're like, whoa, please don't make stuff up. Please don't make stuff up and don't create expectations without explanations. Just please don't do that. Right? Don't do that. If, if they like, you know, my family's this and this happened to me as a kid and, and blah, blah, blah. The word of God speaks to that. You may not be at that moment able to do that. No big, no big, no big. You know, I, I know a guy. Just know a guy. Right? Uh, listen, I know a guy. And I know they would love to talk to you about this. I bet they would be willing to talk to you about this. I bet they could help us with this. They may not say, yeah, okay, let me, let me meet this guy. That's no big deal, right? You're not winning that gunfight. You're winning the war. That's no big deal. Well, I don't feel comfortable with that. Yeah, you know, he's kind of a clown. No worries. I'll be praying for you. I'll love you. Anything I can do for you, let you know. And then exit, no, cease fire. Exit stage right. Right? Don't get in deep in something that you can't manage. Eventually, your, your ability with the Word of God will grow, right? As you study and learn, it'll grow. But in the meantime, first, one of the easiest things you can do is I know a guy. And then call Brother Moles. <laughs> right? Number two is gateway events. Gateway events. Now, the most common ones we have around here is Ladies Fellowship Men's Breakfast. Now, I know you all love going eating like 17,000 calories on a plate, but it might be more important that we think about the guests who come. And is, the, is this event, what we're doing right here, the best touch point for our church? And what can we do while we're at this table hanging out with the dudes to make this 
a gateway to something more, right? It's tone, it's demeanor, it's intention, right? There's, there's, it, so I get it. We want to go and hang out and tell silly stories and, 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 and bag on the president. Fine. Just understand, that's not gateway event. That's just us hanging out. So, so I know a guy. That's one way. Another way is, is some kind of gateway, right? And just some kind of connection to the church. Listen, you do not have to talk about Jesus, right? You don't have to do that. You want to create bonds, alliance, connectivity, some kind of alliance. Oh, I like those people. Those people are really cool. I like to go back and talk to those people. Man, that person really made me feel a particular way. I experienced that person, that group of men in a really unique way. Man, that guy had something, that lady had something really smart to say about that. That's a touch point, right? You might not have to do anything other than that, but you can. Third, third, it's called bridging events. I know a guy, gateway, bridging event. Now, H2H is Pastor Mullen's strategy for bridging. Right? That's the bridging event. Right? So you know a guy, you get somebody involved in the conversation as needed. Gateway, you bring them to, you know, uh, you know chicken fried steak place or whatever. Introduce them to your friends. Introduce them to your people. These are my people, bro. Right? Make sure your people behave. Then they come a little bit closer, come a little bit closer. Then you take them to your bridging event. Right? And the thing about a bridging event, what makes its difference is it moves the event, it moves the, the relationship away from us connecting and us bonding, and we're now going to begin talking religion with each other. Does that make sense? First, I talked about their stuff in terms they cared about. Notice what I'm doing. I know a guy. I don't know. I don't really know what the Bible says about your situation, but I know a guy. Whatever their situation is, right, the first connection is their situation, their circumstance, what they need from God. The next one is a gateway event. Oh, man, come on. I got some dudes. Man, you need to meet some dudes. Take them golfing. Take them fishing. T whatever. Gateway, right? Then H2H. And the thing about H2H, it begins pivoting. Now, they trust you. They're interested in you. They're interested in community. And so they're open to the idea of talking God with you. And that's when you can begin inserting language. That means to them. Now, I got five minutes. So... Let me, let, me, let me push on you a minute. Can I just push on you a little bit? This is a challenge we must not shrink from. Right? The facts that we cannot and should not shrink from this make it a must not shrink from this proposition. Listen, it is our obligation to minister to people with what God has ministered to us. Listen, I've got I to gotta push on you a little bit. You cannot reach the world from the safety and comfort of your church ministry or your church pew or your church routine. You must get out into the field and talk to somebody for God. That is our obligation. That's our responsibility. Right? It's our responsibility because, because the Holy Spirit is supposed to be shed abroad in our hearts. And within our heart, the love of God compels us to reach people. And listen, I got to ask, I really, I just got to ask, what am I doing if I can go to church? What am I doing if I can live a high quality life? If I can enjoy the peace and prosperity of God and walk by the homeless people and make fun of them? What am I doing? What does that say? 
I've got to be involved with the work of God or I'm not really sure that I have the Holy Ghost the way I'm supposed to have the Holy Ghost. And the work of God isn't here, isn't the mandate always go. Go. Get out there. Right? And at a fundamental level, this is simply repaying whoever was the first person to approach your family. That's what it is. All of us, such monks, were lost in sin. Maybe our families were lost. None of us are here because we were just, you know, special people. You're here because somebody walked across their lawn and talked to your grandma's grandma's grandma. Somewhere way back there, somebody was the first person to take the time and take the effort and be effective at communicating the gospel to your family member. You better pay it back. Right? Somebody got involved in your family. Somebody got involved in your marriage. Somebody took the time to see you. Somebody took the time to talk about your stuff. Somebody took the time to be patient with you when you were ridiculous and crazy and silly. Isn't that, isn't, when we get the Holy Ghost, shouldn't the love of God animate us, compel us to do something about that for somebody else? Now notice what Paul is saying. He's saying, I might. That everybody become both almost and altogether as I am except for these chains. Now, the real challenge this morning. Do I really want them to be like I am? Do I really, see, this is what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, I want them. No, Festus, I'm very rational. I speak the truth. Agrippa knows. This is what he's saying. He said, Agrippa knows. They're in this, this, this luxurious space. They've eaten, they've dined together, they've talked for hours, probably. And Paul says, Agrippa knows. Festus, I'm not mad. I'm not irrational. I'm very rational. I speak the truth. And Agrippa knows. Agrippa, you know. Don't you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pretty, pretty good job, Paul. Pretty good job, Paul. And he says, this is what I wish for, brother. I wish everybody would be both almost and altogether as I am. I don't know, though, brother Norman, is if the Christianity that I'm hoping for them is really what I'm hoping for them. Do I want them to be like me? Do I want them to be like Jesus? Do I want them to be the apostolic Pentecostal, or do I want them to be saved and redeemed and in relationship with Jesus Christ? So it really, really forces us to take incredibly serious our responsibility to ensure that we're well prepared that we're expertly led that we're well supplied that we're engaged can't win a gunfight if you're not there you got to win it and that you're effective